folks. It's me, your old pal, Mike Harrington. That's right, the stalwart producer of Notes of a Goon, here to tell you that Chris got a little too fucked up in Vegas. So, we are going to run a classic interview from High Society Radio Presents. Uh, it is Chris from Brooklyn talking to Philip K. Howard. Uh, I know that sounds like a science fiction author, maybe a character from a Marvel movie. No, it's some guy who wrote a book. Um... You're going to hear Chris, uh, obviously, uh, very hungover uh, in the intro to talking to Philip K. Howard. I had to listen to a couple minutes just to figure out what this is about. Um, Chris is going to tell you better than I am in a few minutes, but it's a good fucking interview by a guy who tells you about some laws being dumb. And, like, let's get honest. Most of these laws are dumb. So, you know. This is something to maybe ruminate on for when we get together later this week to bring you an all-new episode of Notes of a Goon. Uh, we are targeting this Thursday at midnight, so instead of your Tuesday midnight release, we're, tra- we're targeting Thursday midnight, because the earliest I can get together is Wednesday. Uh, that's too much information for y'all. Let's, uh, let's start this interview. Society Radio presents a Chris from Brooklyn bonus content fun time. Here's your host, Chris from Brooklyn. Yep. This is the Chris from Brooklyn bonus fun time, whatever the hell that means. The reason why it's called High Society Radio Presents, instead of just High Society Radio with just me, is because Bronx Johnny said I couldn't use the name High Society Radio for this product, which is extra content for the listeners. Uh, This here is me talking to Philip K. Howard. He's the author of books like uh, The Death of Common Sense and The Rule of Nobody. Uh, I know what people are thinking. They're already like, oh, some libertarian horseshit. Philip K. Howard is not a libertarian. He's actually a Democrat. And his main thing is just the fact that the system of laws is broken. And he kind of outlaws how we can get back to uh, a system of common sense. No, not just strict laws, zero tolerance policies, which we all know don't work. So it's just, I mean, that's what this whole segment is going to be, is going to be me maybe talking to some interesting people, maybe doing some more interesting things for just for the listeners, just to have extra content out there so you can hear it. I mean, if you don't already know this, follow us on Twitter at HS Radio Show. You can go to subscribe to the subreddit. It's reddit slash r slash high society radio. And, of course, donate to the Patreon account if you like hearing extra bonus content from interesting people like Philip K. Howard. It's patreon.com slash high society radio. So without further ado, here is my interview with activist, lawyer, and author Philip K. Howard. Okay, I'm here with Philip K. Howard, the author of The Death of Common Sense and uh, the rule of, most recently The Rule of Nobody, also books like uh, Life Without Lawyers. And uh, I actually uh, owe you, Philip, a uh, debt of gratitude because when I first read The Death of Common Sense, uh, I felt like somebody was finally putting all the things that I couldn't quite articulate as to why I'm furious with our current system into words. 
Oh, good. Good. Well, I, uh, hopefully the rule of nobody makes you feel similarly. Well, yeah, I actually, I actually had a, an odd question for you. Uh, when you wrote the rule of nobody, because you, you actually outline a, uh, a point plan in the end for how you think we can fix uh, the runaway laws in the country. And I was wondering, is that because with your other books, maybe somebody kept going to you, well, what's your plan? What's your plan? And you finally <laughs> had to sit down. Because that's what, I mean, that, whenever you're saying, whenever you're expressing discomfort with something that the government does, that's somebody's like, well, what's your best idea? Right. Yeah, I did want to um, uh, present um, a, uh, a a plan, or at least the beginnings of the plan, and and you know I propose a uh, bill of responsibilities to the Constitution at the end of the rule of nobody. It's not a complete solution. Ultimately, uh, as I argue in the book, we need to change our uh, both our political culture as well as uh, you know our sort of public culture. Um, away from this idea that somehow law can be automatic and you can just have a good law and all of a sudden schools will work well and, you know, budgets will be balanced and stuff. And, you know, that's just manifestly not the case. I mean, everything requires, everything complex certainly requires human judgment, whether it's being a good teacher in a classroom or figuring out how to balance a budget. Now, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. There's one thing that just came to mind um, to me is that a lot of these protections and uh, s- sometimes the uh, overriding of laws is, is meant to avoid discrimination. Um, yeah. And do you feel that uh, you would get any pushback? Like, have you gotten any pushback on your opinions because of, uh, let's say, uh, you're, I know you're against um, policies in schools that are, uh, what are they called? I'm, I'm, I'm losing the word. Uh, zero tolerance policies. Right, right. And uh, now I think obviously you should a kid pointing a gun should not be suspended. It's just a, a kid playing. But are these things in place so that later on somebody to essentially protect the school boards so that later on somebody can't say, oh well, uh, you you overly punished say a black student than a white student? Yeah, absolutely. And and frankly, th- there's a lot of that in uh, in our law. You know, we're we're so afraid of being accused of, of doing something wrong. And frankly, people are distrustful as well. In fact, the worse government works, the more, the more legitimately people become distrustful. So, you know, and what I argue in the book is those, that distrust is perfectly understandable, but trying to solve it with millions of words of law just makes it worse. I mean, <laughs> so it absolutely. You know, you know, it just doesn't help. So, so I think we have to come to grips with the question you ask, which is, how do we give people the authority to use their judgment, to use their common sense, but also protect ourselves against the uh, one in whatever number of people who will do it really unfairly because they're racist or any other reason? And also the fact that, let's face it, it'll, you know, humans, humans make mistakes and, you know, all the time, right? We all make mistakes. And so... How do we protect ourselves against that? And, um, and and ultimately, the answer to that is not just a legal process, uh, although I think there needs to be kind of checks and balances in place so that we can, you know, catch the teacher who's racist or catch the whatever. But more uh, of an overseeing but, committee than a strict book of laws, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, oversight committees, and frankly... An attentive public. So, 
So we need people to get involved who are willing to stand up. And so let's say a teacher is accused of being racist. And let's say most people who really know the teacher, you know, the other parents or whatever. Yeah, other faculty members, whoever. Yeah, yeah, other faculty members basically think that's just completely unfair. Well, there ought to be a mechanism where those people who really know the teacher well, you know, in a diverse community, Mm -hmm. can say, well, that's just crazy. We shouldn't have a... We can't ruin a person's reputation because one angry parent has decided to accuse the teacher of racism. On the other hand, you know, uh, you know, there will be teachers who act unfairly or who are racist. And in that situation, we also need to have the authority to say... To fire them immediately. Uh, yeah, fire them and, you know, and to say, you know, we just don't think you're appropriate here. We think you're just not, your sense of fairness does not, does not comport with our sense of fair values. And, but most of those decisions should be made, you know, by the people in the community as a matter of judgment, not as a matter of legal accusations and legal proof, because most of the time you can't either prove or disprove those things. Well, and you know that better than anybody else. You can't. Yeah. How do you know what's in somebody's heart? You can just judge them based on what they, you know, what they've, you know, their pattern of, of behaving, right? Yeah, obviously you can outline you can outline uh, you can see all the discipline ac- disciplinary actions and if it's uh, disproportionate to one group or another, but you but then you have I think there's a there's a, a trust issue with government because it's gotten so out of control that maybe people aren't willing to uh, entrust another government uh, oversight committee to regulate teachers perhaps perhaps and they just like the idea of a strict word of law. Even though it is, I mean, it's bogging teachers down. I, I have an uncle who's a math teacher who's just bogged down with uh, standardized testing, and he's got kids who don't understand math. Yeah, you know, teachers, teachers are crushed with bureaucracy. I mean, there's just simply no way that you can create a framework that instructs teachers how to run a math class well when it all depends on how far along the students are, how many students are, how far along, you know. I mean, there's just so many moving parts that, that, that again, somebody who's thoughtful can, can evaluate whether teachers are doing a good job. But, boy, you can't do it by filling out forms. Who reads all the forms? I mean, you know. It's a good I mean, point. You, 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 you know, you just can't. You, you, so one of the points, you know, the central themes of the rule of nobody, and I really dig down into this, is – is it is it we just can't create a system of automatic government where everything will be fair because it's laid out? What we create is a paralyzed government, and the more you know, there's simply nothing ever got done in the world in the history of the universe by somebody following a rule. Rules can be important to protecting us bad things, but if you really want to teach a child. That's all about affirmative inspiration and knowledge and skill and all that sort of stuff. If you really want to balance a budget, you really want to approve a new power line, all those things require judgment in context. You know, the same way it requires judgment to conduct an interview. You know, yeah. you, know it, you know, everything, it, it, that's, you know, what's great about this country is it had a culture of encouraging people to use their judgment, to succeed, to fail, trial and error, all that kind of stuff. And we need rules on the sidelines. Um, you know, law should be like a corral saying, 
oh, no, you can't go over there. You cannot be racist. You cannot, you know, be unfair in this way or not. But and somebody needs to attend that corral. There's no automatic, you know, there's no automatic test, litmus test for that either. But but the idea ought to be that within that corral, people ought to be free to do things in their own way, not just be following a compliance manual. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you provide uh, tons of anecdotal evidence. Um, of various, I think uh, one of my favorite things that you have is uh, at the end of Death of Common Sense, you, you, you show that uh, the Defense Department spent more money on the procedures for reimbursement of travel than on the actual travel expenses. Yes, and I just, mean, yes. It's just that that just shows that like the 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 need for following these regulations and laws is is obviously counterproductive. It should never it should never come to that. You know, it's interesting. Um, uh, on the one hand, the people who are opponents of government, say the Tea Party or whatever, um, and I think they're right that government's broken, but 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 their solution is completely wrong. Most of what government does, most of these laws, most of these programs serve a purpose that most people would consider is really worthwhile. We need oversight of nursing homes. We want, you know, kind of principles of fairness and anti-discrimination and such in schools. We, you know, there are lots of, most of these programs we need. On the other hand, if you look at any government program, really anyone, including anti-discrimination law, and you say, you say, okay, is it really accomplishing its purposes? You couldn't find one that isn't broken to some material degree. Well, uh, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, every single one of them. Special ed laws. Special ed laws are a good idea, right? Well, special ed now consumes, because it's become this bureaucratic nightmare, consumes over 25% of the total K-12 budget. There's almost nothing for early education, nothing for gifted children. Is that the right balance? Nobody's no. even asking the question. You know, it just kind of ballooned out of control. Well, this is all, that's also because the law states that they, uh, disabled kids are uh, to go to normal schools, right? Well, it's... it's Which it's is a good idea of, in theory. Yeah, yeah, it's partially that. It's also just this, this whole idea that the, 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 there's no judgment built into it. It says you're entitled to an individualized education, no cost to a parent, and... And sometimes this results in, you know, $100,000 or more. Well, that's not really fair to the other kids. You know, there needs to be other countries that are much more liberal than the United States, Scandinavian countries and such, have different ways of doing it where they balance the needs of all the kids, but they don't let one kid get a Rolls Royce while the other kid gets whatever's left over, you know. Yeah, I understand. So, you know, so it's... And again, it goes back to this central theme of, um, you know, that all things all things require a measure of judgment and a way of holding the people who exercise the judgment accountable to make sure they do it fairly. But you just can't, you just can't, by law, dictate fairness automatically. Yeah, I also kind of think it's a pervasive culture that kind of um, it goes through the entirety of even down to the lowest levels of like uh, I mean, just a, a story, uh, an aside. I recently was uh, you're in New York City as well, right? Right. I was I was taking a, a bus and the last stop is across the street from the first stop. And I was about to get on to, at the first stop and I go across the street where the bus is waiting, and it's pouring rain outside. And the guy goes, "I can't let you on the bus." Uh, until I pick you up across the street. Now, there's no rain shelter there, so I'm across the street, I get in, and the guy goes, listen, man, I'm sorry, 
uh, I just couldn't let you on the bus because if you know I had gotten into an accident just going around the corner, you could sue. And I was just like, you can follow the rules all you want. That doesn't make you not a jerk for making me stand in the rain. Yeah, yeah, it's just ridiculous. I mean, that's, I mean, that's just endemic in the society, and also the fear of, you know, the fear. Most people, um, you know, the whole debate over lawsuits and tort reform and all that also kind of misses the point, in my view. You know, the real harm of letting anybody sue for whatever they want under this idea of the right to sue is is not that there's so many crazy suits or that people win if they bring them, because they don't, generally. Is that everyone in America now acts like that guy. It's like defensiveness. You know, doctors order tests that aren't needed all the time because just in case, you know, the sick person gets sicker. Teachers are told never to put an arm around a crying child. You know, there are no seesaws or merry-go-rounds or really anything yeah, any fun, you know, in a classroom, you know, in a playground. And and ultimately, that requires really a kind of a, a, a us to pull ourselves up, start and say, hey, realize, hey, wait a minute, suing is actually a use of state power against somebody else. Somebody, I, the judge, needs to take responsibility in each case to decide whether the the, the 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 actions you know that are complained about mm. actually are un, you know might be unreasonable otherwise they should throw the lawsuit out because so if somebody lets you on a bus because it's raining and go around the corner okay and the bus has an accident you you probably do have a claim if the bus driver was negligent but but that would be true if the bus you know, had an accident, you know, that when you turned around, it doesn't make any difference that you go an extra block. I mean, it's not because it was a, quote, unlawful <laughs> getting onto the bus, right? Yeah. The MTA has to has to deal with bus accidents. There's no reason in the world why the guy shouldn't have let you on the bus. The guy's driving, you know, a couple hundred miles a day yeah. with passengers on it. There's always the risk of an accident. Big deal. Well, exactly. That's something that maybe a judge should say, I don't have the right. Since I asked him because it was pouring rain and he let me on, maybe I don't have the right to sue the MTA if more more so. Because because, you assume the risk that that you were going to be on the bus at a time, you know, when when you weren't supposed to be on the bus because you wanted to get out of the rain. Great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can assume that risk. But we don't have anyone... Judges making those kinds of judgments now—they don't think that's their job. So, so what I argue in the book is that ultimately, um, this 50-year experiment in automatic law, designed in part to do what you said at the beginning—to make sure people couldn't be racist anymore, unfair anymore—when mm-hmm. the need, we pushed the needle too far, and now we've created a society where people don't feel free to put an arm around a crying child or let you on the bus, you know. Or whatever. So we need to sort of push the needle back and loosen up and say, okay, uh, we're not going to get rid of the legitimate goals of law, but we're not going to tell everybody exactly how to do everything. We're going to leave room for everybody all the time to ask the question, what's the right thing to do here? What's the right thing to do in this classroom or to let the guy on the bus or (laughs) whatever it is? Let people use their judgment again. And if somebody brings an unreasonable claim, 
don't let them bring the claim. Say, I'm, you know, this looks unreasonable. I'm not letting you bring the claim because this was, you know, um, if, if there's not an allegation of kind of like sexual conduct, you should never let a parent bring a claim because the teacher, the child was crying and the teacher put an arm around the well, it's person. A- absolutely. It's like uh, people were kind of seeing a... Uh a lottery ticket, almost. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy, and it's and, you know, and for, and that problem is particularly a problem. I'm told, you know, in in minority communities, because you know, it's become a it's become like a, a rule of a rule of something that you know that, that that teachers are subject to a very strict code, and they're not allowed to do certain things, and if they do them, you can get them. Well, that's terrible for everybody. It's terrible yeah. for the school and the culture and the community. It's it's terrible you know. for the student whose parents are are suing. I mean, on a, that that, yeah. that he's not going to get a great education in the place he is if every if all of the teachers know that he's you know he or she whatever. It, it's not it's it's not good for the individual. That's right. actually and, bringing and, a suit. And you know, if 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 students go into a classroom, I have a daughter who's a teacher in East Harlem. If if the students go in a classroom, and 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 they feel like you can smell it, that the teacher is kind of fearful and defensive, that classroom is going to be out of control. You know, particularly with older you know kids who are over yeah, twelve. It, you, know, yeah. you know, it's going to be out of control. Mm. So it's really important if we want to educate our children. To give back to educators the confidence that they're in charge. <laughs> you know, who do we want to be in charge? The twelve-year-old or the teacher? You know. The, yeah. So, so um, there are there are some pretty important aspects of the culture that have been that have corroded as a result of this um, kind of legal overkill. I think, and uh, we're you know we're going to need to have a national discussion and frankly we need some leaders in each community you know to to talk about different aspects and one of the things i call for are special commissions in different areas to come up with simplified codes like for schools and other things like and, a sort um, of like a a community board so, something along those lines but with a little well, more power i mean i mean well you could have, well certainly i think you should have a community board type um, structure to to oversee disputes and problems. In, in terms of coming up with a whole new legal structure, I actually think you need sort of national thing. Like you need a, a committee that's chaired by Colin Powell and, you know, some other people like that to to recommend new codes for uh, for how to run schools. Well, example. you have, uh, that was your, uh, your one of your final uh, lists in the Bill of Responsibilities was uh, the a council of citizens uh, to uh, give report appointed by the governors to give reports uh, about the status of government. Yes, because government, it's a government has taken a life of its own. You know, Washington is broken. It is hopelessly terminally broken. The whole culture is broken. It's not just the rules. You go down there, people have given up trying to do anything. Mitch McConnell's not trying to do anything. He's just trying to make the other side look bad. Same with Harry Reid. You well, know, it's like he's not doing anything. And and somebody like President Obama comes in, and he wants to rebuild the infrastructure, and then he realizes he's powerless to do it. 
because it takes 10 years to go through the approval process. The law, George Washington himself could not run the government. It would be illegal. There's just too many laws, right? So I actually think Washington is hopeless. And so one of the ideas of the Citizens Council is to get a bunch of old people who or you know, people not politically ambitious anymore, to sit there and say, you know something, you're not doing your job. And to issue reports that then the media will write about because the media is complicit here too. They don't they just follow the daily futilities. The Republicans say this and the Democrats say that. When both in my view, both in view of most Americans, Republicans and Democrats are both completely missing the boat. So so we need a kind of a, you know, some gray hairs, you know, again, the Colin Powell types or, you know, or Bill Bradley and, you know, people like that um, to sit on a council and start saying reports that are official. They're not they don't make somebody do something. But it, then the media has an official report that says, oh, yeah, guess what? What every American knows, the system of government is broken and they're not doing their job. Now, but here lies the problem. These are people uh, appointed by the governors. This is what I was thinking about. Now, since it would be reported by the media and information is powered, now don't their positions, even if they're unpaid, then become valuable to various political parties? They do. They do. And, and anything can be corrupted. But the idea is you get people of high integrity and character and... and well, I think Colin Powell is a great example. I mean, what? I think Colin Powell is a great example. I don't. I, I don't yeah, foresee yeah, him yeah, being corrupt. Yeah, yeah. yeah or, or Mike Bloomberg, for that matter. I mean, nobody I know thinks Mike Bloomberg says things because he's trying to. Yeah, he's not trying to know, win anybody over. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Help somebody out. You, you might not may disagree with him, but, but, but he's saying what he thinks, and same with Colin Powell. So you get people who, who have moral authority, not because you agree with them, but because they're. Um, because they're speaking from a place who, of honesty. Yeah, yeah, they're honesty. They're intellectually honest. Okay. Uh, there's one. There's something. Okay. There's something I wanted to ask you, and I didn't really see uh, where you. I know you spoke about it. Where um, government agencies run out their budget so that they don't, their budget doesn't get cut in the next year, and it's something that is always yeah. anytime a story with like. Department of Homeland Security running hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of zombie drills or anything like that. It, inf- it infuriates me every time I read anything like that. Or, you know, there's a guy in the Department of Agriculture a few years ago that commissioned an oil painting of himself. Do you have any uh, ideas of how to, like, uh, root, out, root out that culture? Well, um, it really is sick. I mean, first of all, sure, you change the rules so that... Um, People are given um, have the potential for getting more budgetary leeway if they underspend rather than less. So uh, some sort of financial you know, incentive. Yeah, yeah. For you pet you create an incentive. You you reward them for saving money. You say, in any amount you save this year, we're going to get fifty. We're going to give you fifty percent of that above that for your next budget, and the same for the next year, so they can keep you know having a little surplus in the bank. Okay, I see. So, so it gives, you know, gives them an incentive rather than now. They just take it away. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's as you say, completely counterproductive. Yeah, it, it seems to be. Well, it just seems 
they like uh, I, I, it just seems to me that it's crazy that like uh, Amtrak loses four dollars on a hamburger. You know what I mean? Like they sell an eight dollar hamburger, it costs them twelve dollars to make. Like somebody is all right. Like somebody needs to step in and be like, okay, we need to fix this so that uh, people trust Amtrak as a reliable service because it is important. And if we ever did get a high speed rail going, which uh, was a one of uh, President Obama's proposals. It could be great for the country to not have to deal with the air travel industry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. So, but but all these things require choices, and they require trial and error, and they require, you know, they they, they require um, giving people the chance to to adapt. One of the other problems with law is you, know, you write a rule or law, and you say, okay, we're going to do it this way, and then it's got to be that way. Well, what happens when you realize it's not working? Well, shouldn't somebody be able to say, you know, let's try it another way? And and it's just it's just it, it's so it's so important for any for every day when you wake up, you make choices, and halfway through the day, you say, you know, I don't have time for that, or or I have time for something else because it didn't take me enough time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. well. Think of all the those circumstances happen when people are working on a law. It'll be the same thing, but but no one in government has the flexibility to adapt. And so one of the things I call for in the rule of nobody is uh, to give the executive branch, the president, more authority to bob and weave, to use money in different ways, to reallocate, to adapt to new circumstances. Because otherwise, you might as well just be a robot, hmm. you know, g- going by a compliance manual. But, uh, I mean, isn't there a bit of a problem with, uh, I mean, how do you mean? Just like, because I know it, it outlines, like, actual hirings and firings, but, I, I mean, a lot of people have complained in, you know, the last decade or so about, it, uh, well, longer than since George W., since George Bush, of uh, an overreach of executive power with, you know, uh, deployment of uh, military and things like that. But are you just talking about the actual uh, administrative administrative work that seems to yeah, be? Yeah, yeah, just the running of government. And so, so you know, there's a legitimate issue about what the powers of the executive branch ought to be in going overseas and deploying troops and such. And it's the same dispute happening now with Obama as it did with Bush. Uh, and I, and that's a, those are tough questions. And arguably, the executive branch has overreached its authority. But when it comes to trying to execute domestic programs, you know, pursuant to laws for, you know, for, for whatever, you know, special ed or, you know, the executive branch ought to have much more flexibility in making sense of those laws. And because every, because they all involve human you know, sort of adapting to the way humans react to them. So if you want to get to the... You, you, we pass these laws. It's like asking somebody to ride a bicycle without having any capacity to kind of lean right and left to keep their balance. Okay, right? yeah. You know, so it's like we put a robot on the... dumb robot on the bicycle, and it sets off, and within about 20 feet, it's fallen over, right, because it didn't... Because it can't move back and forth the way a person does. Well, that's what we've done to the executive branch. You know, they pass a law with all this detail, you know, with thousands of pages. And they criticize President Obama because he's, he's uh, you know, extending some deadlines for Obamacare and doing other things. 
Well, he couldn't make it work if he didn't adapt it. Because it's just too detailed. It's too... It's just too, it's too complicated a problem without being able to lean back and forth. Yeah, it's almost like a, with, with a lot of laws, you almost don't know. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the Clinton administration didn't uh, foresee a housing bubble when they passed an, the uh, Equality and Housing Act. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And so there are all these things that have unintended consequences. You've got to be able to adapt. Yeah, I, that's one thing I liked. Uh, one of your things in uh, Rule of Nobody was uh, a time limit of 15 years on uh on laws and i think that's great but it seems to be like some laws have these time limits and the the more practical ones do like something like pay, yeah, well, pay go. the ones with budgetary impact so it's not something like anti-discrimination law it's something like uh yeah yeah you know, you know special ed that's forcing people to spend a lot of money well let's rethink it and see if it's working every 15 years you see if we can figure out a different way around things maybe or, uh, or let's save some money or how to do it better or you know you're, you're not necessarily getting rid of the protection but you're just trying to make it work better the same way you would make anything in your life work better yeah i just think it's a great point it just seems like sometimes there are there are like common sense laws that you see fade away um i think it was under bush senior you had uh paygo and it ran through clinton and then it expired under bush jr and that's where you saw it going back to runaway spending in like the reagan era was as soon as it was gone you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that was something that was like, well, that expired and nobody ever talked about it again. Like, it, it, there, there needs to be some sort of force to be like, okay, well, this is a law that is expiring. Maybe we should have a national dialogue about it because it seems to have helped us pay down the debt under the Clinton administration. But that, that was just yeah, exactly, exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Well, just uh, just one more question. It's just kind of a little tongue-in-cheek question. But uh, when you, uh, how many people, as a lawyer, how many people in your profession are just furious at you? Um, well, I don't know. The, you know, the, the plaintiff's lawyer bar doesn't like me much because they like the idea of using law to get rich. Um, and I don't think that's really the right role of lawyers. Uh, uh, but I would say, actually, that most people in the legal profession are sympathetic with what I say because most people in the legal profession see this this mindless bureaucracy in their own practice. So uh, you'd be surprised at how many people are sympathetic, even uh, government officials. You know, I'm very critical of how government works, but I'm for giving government officials more flexibility, not you know taking it away from them. Um, and so it's interesting. Uh, it, it, there are very few closed doors. There are there are some. The the place that doesn't respond to what I'm saying. Are the are the senior levels of politics because it'll offend interest groups on both sides? What I'm saying, and so ultimately, like any change that's that's worthwhile, like the civil rights revolution, like the progressive era, the change is going to be led by from the outside. We need a new idea. We need a new narrative. It needs to be moral, and I think the new narrative is is about you know restoring human responsibility and accountability that you know get rid of mindless bureaucracy we want people and we want obama to have the authority to make choices and succeed or fail not to be paralyzed the point of democracy is not paralysis you know and and somehow we need to create and i don't think i've landed on it yet but you know we need to create a new vocabulary 
like the Civil Rights Revolution, for making government work again and make it respond to people and to make moral choices as well as practical choices. And that's going to involve you, everyone else in the public, realizing that we need a new, you know, getting getting behind a new vision or or more than one new vision of of remaking our government. Yeah, I think I, I think it will take. Yeah, it's going to take. I think the narrative, the bipartisan narrative, has to start start to fade a bit. Maybe I don't really know how to go about that. And then maybe then you'll see some of these common sense reforms that you want. Because I I think right now everybody is so afraid of uh, the other side getting in for even a second that they're willing to uh, like wash over what their guy is doing. Like if you if you uh, you know there's whatever the polls are there's a very low approval of Congress as a whole. And the Senate as a whole, but uh, you'll see that people actually do approve of their representatives. You know what yeah, I mean? I, I think there's just yeah, this I know, fear I know, of that's so weird. But if you go into Congress, the truth is, it's like an institution of powerlessness. I mean, people are just Congress is broken. I mean, people are most members of Congress I know are basically depressed. Really? They have they have no power. They can't do anything. It's just a paralyzed institution. It's not. Uh, I was speaking with a with a conservative thinker the other day. We we're, we're talking about ways in which you could uh, allow government to adapt. I said, you know, if you gave congressional committees real authority to kind of adapt laws and regulations all the time to make them work, you know, you've got a congressional committee of twenty two people yeah. or something. Then all of a sudden. The people in Congress would have something to do, and they could be account. They could both succeed or fail, and be accountable for it. But right now, everything goes up to the 535 people. Nothing can make it through that sieve. Almost nothing gets enacted. Nothing gets taken away. You know. Yeah, and it takes you know, it's, years. It's, it's just paralyzed. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so, so we're at a point where, uh, um, where I think we're going to have to change our organization of government not to change its goals, not for new goals the way it was with civil rights or the progressive era, but to make it work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, make it have something happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, so. We're incredibly stagnated. But, all right, well, thank you for thank you for your time. I'm, I very much enjoy your books. I actually just downloaded Life Without Lawyers on uh, audiobook, and I'm going to be listening to that over the next few days. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, keep in touch. Thank All you. All right, thank you very much, Philip. Have bye, a nice bye, day. Bye. Well, there you go. There you have it. That's the first ever episode of the uh, Chris High Society Radio Presents the Chris from Brooklyn Bonus Fun Time. I hope you enjoyed it. I really like Philip K. Howard. Uh, we don't see eye to eye on everything, obviously. But his books are really interesting. Go out there, grab The Rule of Nobody. It's kind of a great book. If you need some context for it, read his first book, uh, The Death of Common Sense, first. It really did make me feel like, okay, now somebody is really understanding. There's a lot of anecdotal things in there that just show why... The uh, why the system is broken, the system of laws that millions of words that govern us. It's just something I find interesting. I know it's not what we normally do. You guys were you guys tuned in for uh, dick jokes and Bronx Johnny murdering prostitutes, but Bronx Johnny uh, he refuses to come on this bonus content fun time, and he refuses to let me just use the name High Society Radio because he's a piece of garbage. So I had to talk to you know a lawyer and a scholar and an author, an activist with his own charitable fund because my friend Bronx Johnny played me. He's a piece of shit, that Bronx Johnny. 
just so everybody knows. But anyway, uh, you can follow Philip at Philip K. Howard on Twitter. You can follow us at HS Radio Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash high society radio. Reddit.com slash R slash high society radio. And of course, patreon.com slash high society radio. Donate to the Patreon. Get a t-shirt, get some stickers that Stanley says he's going to print at some point. I'm sure they'll show up. But that's the end of this show. Thank you very much. 